So the choices available are, do you want to see Hugh doing my way? No. Do you want to see... No. What, was, what did you, you and Billy do? We did Don't Let the Sun Go Don't Down on Me. Or you, do George, or Elton? Well, it got a little bit hazy at the end. I think we're both trying to be oh, both. The lines got a bit. They just kept introducing each other, basically. <laughs> oh no, ladies and gentlemen. Oh no, really? Or do you want to see me comprehensively kicking Hugh Ferris's backside at the Slide and Splash water park on the Algarve? That's I want to see that. Yeah, you yeah. want to see that. Here we go, then, lads. Yeah. Here we go. Right. So, we need to describe the scene, Steve, you're a commentator. Yeah. Well, this is a, a five-way blue descent slide, although it's just one-on-one, me against Ferris. As you can see, I was at least five metres ahead. What do you think so about, about your technique? I think it's just you? a weight issue, really, if I'm yeah. honest. Well, yeah. I'm not sure, because uh, it, it was, you know, knees up to the chest. Knees up, Mother Brown. We did learn that the best the best technique for By the phone slide is to basically have as little as possible touching the, the phone. It's the Dambusters, isn't it? Um, the bouncing so bomb. Yeah, yeah. We, we basically... We, we, knees up, fetal position, boom. We, we'd done it arms behind the head, you know, shoulder, shoulder, blades and, shoulder blades and ankles to try and get maximum, you know, aerodynamic speed. And then we saw some really large English gentlemen doing it as the uh, as the Dambusters bomb and realised that was the way to go. So were you pushing like small children out of the way yep. to get more goals? <laughs> yeah. You could, you could perfect your technique. Well, the, the, the first. The <laughs> you really did. You, you did, One of um, one of the other one of the other lads had videoed it first time and hadn't really got it quite right, so we had to go back up to the top and do a retake, didn't we? And at that point, we wanted the slide all to ourselves. The first time, by the way, the one that was not quite uh, videoed in the correct, correct manner was a dead heat. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily as easily available for you to watch. Well, if that was a dead heat and Steve won the second, then, then Steve yeah. wins. I'm just saying that it wasn't a comprehensive it smashing was. of the he backside, a, as he suggested. He won by a fair... I'm not sure. Did you actually start at the same time? Because you look probably way ahead there, Steve, probably to be honest. I, I, like, I like to think I went on the B of the bang. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, but cheated to, then, yeah. to be fair, like in the Olympic bobsleigh, it's not like, oh, well, they get the gold. But to be fair, their start was rubbish, so they probably they would have gone faster if they'd started quick. It is, yeah, the it start's is. part of the race. Not if goals, cheated. Not, goals not, count if you can see them in the first minute. If you say, <laughs> by the way, if you say two terrible analogies for what we just watched on the video. By the way, didn't uh, what I thought my fav my favourite bit about that particular day out was um, getting to spend time with a illustrious Premier League footballer who has represented three clubs at the top level and has a prestigious winner's medal. Amongst their co amongst and, their collection, and, and 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 is a defender, a defender, a fine body of tattoos. It had to be said, yeah, and, and, right. a, and a family man as well. Really by good what we saw. really good looking, good looking, good looking guy. Anyway, yes, uh, Crystal Palace, Southampton, West Ham, and Portugal defender Jose Font was in the same place. I, I, I don't know what you think you're achieving by that. I think we're achieving something. I don't know, and it's that's all. Obviously, you've worked on that, haven't you? Oh, well done, you two. Well jo done. So Jose Font likes a water park. He loves. He loves a water park. He, li he likes certainly likes the adulation he was getting. I can imagine at yeah. the water park. If I'm gonna, if I'm a Portugal international defender, I'm probably just going to plonk myself in the middle of one of the Algarve's hottest yet wettest attractions. <laughs> well, you're not Portuguese. You're certainly not a defender. It's debatable whether you actually play football. So the chances of that happening, I want to know what kind of trunks so, he had on. Was he a speedo man? I'm basically as good looking. So you, you well, counted everything else, but said I was just good font. He's a, he's a, he's Stephen. The closer you get, the better. It's kind of the opposite to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Far off, stay away. Welcome. To
to Set Piece Menu. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food. With me, Hugh Ferris, once more, are Rory Smith, who, after his first season with the New York Times, will be putting his pen down for a week off. Steve Wyeth, who, with the football taking a couple of months off, has put his microphone down for the summer. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who, as a pundit, is lucky enough to put down his microphone whenever he doesn't have anything to say and then just shrugs wordlessly at the commentator alongside him and then has to fill the gap rather than have a crucial few seconds to maybe make notes or simply collect himself and his thoughts crucial moments for him I'm still scarred um, we have enjoyed the kind of food that we we never thought that we should partake in because the, the plates are empty after our donut peach juice last time we have actually bit the bullet so to speak and gone with donuts there are none remaining yeah it, it's because if we'd gone for peaches they'd all still be here <laughs> yeah that's true slightly bruised and not necessarily as tasty as you want it to be well we now only consume donut peaches in juice form of course oh well that's the best way to consume the donut peach thank you once again for all your tweets and emails set piece menu on twitter at set piece menu uh, do get involved with us as much as you can and set piece menu at gmail.com is where you all um, with your incredibly intelligent suggestions find your way to sending them uh, to us thank you for your subscriptions your reviews do continue to rate and tell your friends about set piece menu uh, but not before indulging us for the next half an hour or so as we take you on a journey through one footballing edition of set piece menu our topic today does money make you less of a success it seems you can't do it without although Huddersfield maybe have proved that that's not necessarily the case yes it's another episode where Andy can talk about David Wagner and in winning the championship playoff final their owner actually referenced both Burnley and Bournemouth as standard bearers for doing things the alternative way, if you like. But they'll all now stand to make hundreds of millions of pounds as Premier League clubs, of course. So does that immediately mean that their achievements from now on should be seen in a different light? Or if you're a manager and you have a war chest of billions, should your achievements have an asterisk by them? Does money make you less of a success? Right, so I... I think what's interesting about this is that it's the, the transfer window hasn't even started yet, but already we're seeing huge sums of money being spent, particularly by Premier League clubs, although I'm sure the rest of Europe will catch up at some point. Uh, and fans delight in that, and nothing gets fans quite so excited as, as seeing their, their team buy new players, and that's completely natural and totally normal. Uh, I always find it slightly odd when... You know when someone wins the golf or the cycling or the swimming or whatever, one of, one of those sports, and people say, does this mean he or she will now win Sports Personality of the Year? And you sort of think, well, pretty sure Andy Murray's not won Wimbledon as a qualifier for Sports Personality of the Year. His <laughs> <Yeah. And> <laughs> initial thoughts jump to that point, though. Never mind getting my hands on the trophy. He's there meeting Princess Michael of Kent and thinking, oh, this means I might get to meet Sue Barker in six months. It's going to be amazing. But it's, it seem, often seems to me that Champions League qualification particularly is seen as a well. This means we can attract better players. It's, you sort of the trophy's out of the way, not the trophy. The, the the achievement itself is out of the way immediately. Or United winning the Europa League, it, the trophy goes out of the way immediately. It's simply this is a means to an end. We can now buy better players, and that's kind of part of fandom. But there's a second side to it, which is that fans hate being accused of buying success. That really angers people. If you look at kind of Manchester City, who are you know started off the summer spending the most money on as many players as possible. If, you, if other fan, fans of other clubs accuse them of buying success, City fans get really cross. And that suggests to me that those fans themselves feel slightly uneasy about the way that success is acquired. And I think there's another, another strand to it which interests me, which is how on earth can you tell who's a good manager? 
So if Guardiola goes and walks the Premier League next year, do, is he a good manager or is he just a man who's had loads of money to spend on the most players? Because it's, it, it's really hard to separate that. There is no kind of way of... You can say he's good at, at buying the right players to fit into his system, but what about that's just one that's just one element of management. There's coaching, there's kind of ins- inspiration, there's all that other stuff. There's tactical know-how. That's all part of management. But we seem increasingly just to prioritise. Well, can he spend the most money in the correct way? Is that th- that seems to be the key skill within management now? And I'm I'm not sure that's something that we should delight in particularly. It's so a skill. Funnily enough, just quickly because it, it, it's just a side issue from what you mentioned there. It's a skill that Arsene Wenger has been accused of not having for all the, the, the way that his football has been played to many plaudits it's the fact that he has not been able to recruit correctly whether he's had the right amount of money to spend or not moot point he has not recruited well so therefore it doesn't apply carry on Stephen we'll never find the answer out there will we we'll never see whether Guardiola's got the ability to take Ipswich out of the Championship and into the Premier League or whether he can go to Stockport County and drag a team that plummeted like a stone back up through the divisions you, you've, you've got to be a high profile former player and you know of showing that ability to be a coach to then get that opportunity to go into a club with a load of money to spend obviously at Barcelona already had a fantastic squad in place when Guardiola took came in and obviously his tactical ability moulded that into a, a successful team. Bayern were, were treble winners, weren't they, when he took over? They just won the treble the season before and, and obviously City have spent a large majority of their money before Guardiola arrived. So it's difficult to, to get an answer to that question, but isn't it? It doesn't... I, I, the argument, oh, well, you know, we'll never know whether Guardiola's a good manager until he takes Ipswich to the Champions League, I, I think is, is, a, is, more, is intellectually vapid. Not a criticism of you, but that argument, I think, doesn't it hold sounded water. Like a criticism. <laughs> yeah. Definitely intellectually vapid, and then he looked at you and, and, and pointed at it. On the V of the yeah. vapid, there was a there was a, there was a point. Vapid. I thought he was about to hit me no. with the other hand. It's no. not. It isn't. It's just that Steve's brought it up. So the blame I'm not feeling any better about it, Rory. Anyway, the but the thing is that the, the, the skill that Guardiola, like Mourinho, has. And all those those kind of elite managers is they are good at getting great players to play great football. I know how Chris Sutton feels now, by the way. Yeah, getting bullied. <laughs> the you know their job their job is not to, to you know to, to take a, a threadbare squad and, and get the best out of it and win promotion and that's not what they're employed to do. They're employed to get Guardiola is employed to make great players play great football. The days of managers taking Ipswich to titles are gone. That's Guardiola's not been asked to do that. So the fact that he hasn't shouldn't be held against him. Is what I'm saying. But there are ways of telling whether managers are good at coaching that, that I think now get drowned out almost by the, the, the emphasis on signing players. So when Guardiola came in, City didn't have a squad full of sort of nincompoops and clowns. They, you know, they're, they're all internationals. They're, they're maybe not as good as they should have been, but they're all internationals. They're all competent footballers. It's not like Chinch is playing for them anymore. And the... <laughs> you're, you're, I'm, you're just, I'm just glad it's been deflected. It's just, it's just deflected I'm, up towards you now. Hugh, watch out. I'm going to do Hugh in a minute. <laughs> Pointing but in a sinister fashion. There is, an, there is, a, there has to be a question as to whether, as, as to what it, I think Guardiola did improve City, but to what extent did he improve City? He had the, roughly the same players, plus a few as, as Pellegrini. How much better were they? Does that surely is the, the test of how good a manager is? Whether they improve players, not just whether they can acquire new ones. If you want to deal with that uh, that issue, they he improved some players. Whether he improved the whole team as a result of improving those players is not necessarily correlated 
but he certainly improved some of those players. Given that, if you're just improving Raheem Sterling to be slightly better, does that make you the world's best manager? Because if Raheem Sterling doesn't work out, you can put Leroy Sané in, who you spent a lot of money on, and then you can put Bernardo Silva in if it doesn't work into next season. So yes, your ability to improve players only takes you so far and only needs to take you so far. I I never really bought the idea that Guardiola... Guardiola's achievements at Barca and Bayern were somehow compromised by the fact that he inherited loads of the you know that loads of the players were just there. So Philip Lahm, Thomas Muller, and all those they were just an alibi. They were all just at Bayern. Their development was nothing to do with Guardiola. That he he happened to walk into this team with these amazing players, same at Barcelona. Um, but you do kind of th- I don't know. There's something about the fact that he's he's looked at City and thought right I can't get any more out of these players. We need a whole raft of new ones and not just. Not even this is where it brings us back to money. It's not even I'm going to try and sign a clever, you know, someone from you know, not not necessarily the French second division like Kante, but mm-hmm. I've I've spotted something in this in this player that I really like. It is it does seem, and City are not the only team doing it. That basically the Premier League's transfer policy at the moment is let's go and sign Monaco players. Let's see they they did well. Let's sign yeah. them. They're good. And and a few years ago it was Borussia Dortmund players, yeah. and it, at some point it'll be. Another team, or, you know, and it'll be Porto, Napoli. Porto had a spell yeah. of being yeah. absolutely and, pillaged, and Spurs they? as well. Yeah, and it's, it's it does seem to be that this kind of approach of they are good, let's get them, put them in, and that will make the team better, and that and that is an element of management. No one is denying that in the slightest, but I I just feel the balance is wrong, and we all and the media are part of this, the fans are part of this, teams are part of this. Focus exclusively on how much on which players you can buy, mm. whereas I don't think that really it doesn't feel to me like that should be the be-all and end-all and I just wonder how much to, and this is what, what interests me does that provide an asterisk to success for fans of the club that do well so say Man City don't spend 300 million quid and win the title will there be any City fans thinking delighted we won the lead but I kind of wish we'd done it by not spending 300 million quid it's the, it's the stick now that, uh, that your rivals beat you with regardless of which way you go if you spend lots of money your opponents say, well, that's why you won. If you don't spend big, you're saying, why didn't we spend as big as yeah. United, for example? Mm. Because we've got the money to be able to do that. So whichever way you go, you almost can't win. So there, you know, if City don't spend as much as United, then United finish below them. Ha <laughs> ha, you spent more money. Mm. So actually, the, the, the money doesn't necessarily underscore their success or undermine their success. It's, the, it's just something to a stick to beat you with, to, to embarrass you. But also, also top coaches who are trying to win everything as well, aren't they always going to be drawn down the road of signing more established players for more money because they can trust them? Because as you said, it should be, yeah, good coaches like Guardia, you should be taking players from, from like Aaron Moy they brought over to, and basically loaned him straight out to Huddersfield. Now, clearly he can play. Bloody now, Huddersfield. Huddersfield. I know Huddersfield again. But anyway. Bloodersfield. Is, is, is a good coach developing Aaron Moy to become a Premier League player over two or three years? Would City fans say that's more what we like rather than going out and buying Bernardo Silva for forty odd million, but that, that's the that's the problem because they do need results as well. So they're more likely to spend more money on more established players who can come in with slightly less coaching can get the job done as well. And well, that's that's true. The top probably the top six clubs with the amount of the finances they have available. Steve, Stephen, why I think Hugh Ferris both support a football team. 
Mm. The team that you two support is not a team. I'm going to try and disguise this. No, it's not this a team. You're yes, right. Please, please, <laughs> please, please do try and for the, for the purposes of integrity. We, I mean, they've given it away ages ago, haven't they? No, we never uh, have. We never no, have. No, no, we're, we're, very, we're very clever. Although, interestingly, they are colour-coded in the, their team's kit. That's ah, interesting. I didn't notice Thank that. Thank goodness yeah. this, is, uh, As well, this is an audio about <laughs> rather than a video one. About four billion of the world will be in we're these not, two colours. We're not, I'm not, no. We're not. Yeah, you're, you're Hugh is wearing green <laughs> and Steve is wearing purple. Uh, the, we are anyway. the away kit for... <laughs> <laughs> but over the last, say, five years, you will, will as fans, like as I have with the team that I support, you, you will have built up a, an affection for, a fondness for certain players and yeah. for the team that you have. There will be players in there that... When they score a goal for your team, which admittedly is relatively rare, yeah. Um, the, yeah. the, the, for your well, team, yeah, you are, they you, now, they, yeah, they now score goals for someone else's team. Put, put it this way: <laughs> <laughs> for your team against our team, and we'll just leave it like that because that anyway, gets you very angry. The, the yeah, you, you 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 know you kind of you develop a fondness and an affection for players. You you. Yeah. Certainly, I, I don't know if this is true of other people, but I, I like it when certain players for my team straw more than others. And you kind of think when you see a, a goal flash up on teletext and it's <laughs> been strawed by such and such, you think, oh, good, I'm glad he's strawed. And if it's strawed by another player, you think, oh, I'd rather someone The have. other guy's yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? You, yeah. you I hope that one got a big deflection. Yeah, <laughs> 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 but you do, you have it. That's, that's part of the point of football, that you develop an affection for these players. And I just, I wonder whether if you see every summer another 200, 150, 200 million quid's worth of talent come in. That doesn't happen immediately. You don't develop that affection immediately. So if your team went out and spent 250 million quid and won the league next summer, next year, your reaction obviously would be delighted to win the league. But would you feel in some way sad for the players who've been replaced? Would would, Would there be a bittersweet element to it? The team that we support is better now than they used to be. God, they must have been awful. I know, they were really, really, really poor really? when my dad... I don't know why my dad took, took me to watch them play, quite frankly. It was like a punishment. <laughs> what but a tyrant. I, I, remember, I, I, I clearly remember when, when the transition from seemingly being a home of, you know, journeyman pros who you sort of developed a bit of an affection for, changed them, and one or two quality players started to arrive. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, I felt as though perhaps my support dwindled a little bit at that point because it, the, the club had, had lost an, an element of, of the, the soul that was the part of the reason that you supported it. And I've often had this discussion with Manchester City fans as to whether the transition you know, in 2008 from being everybody's second team, the one that most people secretly hoped would, would do better than they were doing, changed. And they became just like those clubs that they despised the most, United and Chelsea. And a point, and it takes me on to a point I was going to make, is that in many ways, City have underachieved with the money that they've spent. I would argue, you know, in, in, in answering the question as to, you know, to whether... Does success mean less if you have to spend to get it? Well, I'd suggest that, that City have fallen well short in terms of their investment. I had a, had a quick crunch. Go on. Well, no, I just, I just get annoyed with that. Well, I, I, the I, Manchester City employees. No, 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 you get annoyed no, with that. I get annoyed with that with whether anybody saying that about any club. Yeah, but I'm, I, so I, de- I deliberately crunch the numbers. He's crunched some numbers, which is going to crush me. To support this. Point. Can we get some sort of sound effect for when Steve crunches numbers? We'll, 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 we'll overlay <laughs> this. Like we'll like Carol those. Vorderman. <laughs> have you got? A old calculator that makes a click every time you hit a button. Because obviously these these things are relative. So you draw a, a, a comparison between City and Chelsea. 
yeah, the, the money that's been spent will be different. But at the time when they started spending it, they were blowing not just other teams in England out of the water, but other, you know, the rest of Europe out of the water in terms of transfer fees. Well, in the, in the nine years that City have been spending the Abu Dhabi money, they've won the Premier League twice, the FA Cup once, the League Cup twice, and they've reached the semi-final of the Champions League. That would seem like a meagre return if you compare that in, in the nine years after Chelsea started spending the Abramovich money, they'd won the Premier League three times, FA Cup four times, League Cup twice. They'd won the Champions League in the ninth and final of those years, by the way, but they'd also reached the Champions League semi-finals on four other occasions. So I would suggest that, yes, City's success is devalued by the money they've spent because they've not reached the level that, that every you, season they don't win the Premier League has got to be considered a failure if yeah. you take it as a straight equation I think that's probably right if it's number yes. of trophies won divided by money yeah, spent and, oh, I, yeah, and, yeah. and I, I also agree with, with it being devalued slightly I've got no problem with that my frustration comes with those saying that City have underachieved their, mo- their money whilst they have spent more money than anybody else yes and, and I, I take that point what frustrates me is this idea that there is some sort of correlation between spending money and winning, which I think a whole conversation suggests that there isn't, or it's not that obvious. Only one team can win any one of those trophies. It doesn't mean that you, yeah. you, you can't lose games. But also, City was spending this kind of money when lots of other teams were spending this kind that's, of money. Chelsea was spending the money and when was, nobody look, else was spending the, that money. The, the and Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich were not the teams that they are now. And I'm not saying that City are any, uh, have at any point been on a level with those top three clubs. But they have been spending their money in a different environment when the world's best players were at those three teams and they essentially had slimmer pickings and also other people had more money to compete with. I was going to offer that. I'm glad as, we offered as, it. As, yeah. as a point of view and, and, and as a consequence. But I, and, and I definitely don't think City's failure to win the Champions League is a fair comparison because, like you say, when Chelsea won the Champions League, it, it, it was not the competition it was in terms of you know the, the, the big two in Spain and, and Juventus and Bayern's strength as well. But I do think domestically they failed to, to pick up the silverware they should have done during during that 90s. But, and others have now had the opportunity over the last two or three years to catch up. You know, the likes of Manchester United have started investing again. Tottenham have had an ability to build a squad over, over a prolonged period of time without necessarily throwing massive amounts of money at it. And, and obviously Chelsea, in, in bringing in Conte as coach, have managed to pull all the pieces of their jigsaw together as well. Well, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea have, spent, have spent less in the last few years, yeah. but that's because they already had this... Yeah, they spent. They spent their they money. Spent, they'd done their money to yeah. an extent, and now they are just spending normally. City, as Hugh quite rightly says, are spending money in a different environment where it goes not quite as far. And also, the other thing is the TV. The TV rights for for Liverpool, for United, for Spurs, for everybody else, for Arsenal. The myth about Arsenal not spending money is nonsense. It's, nonsense, it's yeah, not yeah. complete nonsense. They the last two years they've spent three years they spent loads of money. Yeah, it's just funny that they were, when Arsenal Wenger signed his new contract last week they said and now he's got a one hundred million pound war chest. That's nothing. Thinking, that's yeah. nothing. <laughs> that's going to get him a, a right back and maybe yeah. a reserve team goalkeeper. But the yeah, and that, that's going to change the landscape as well. But I just and I, I I do think Steve's right. I think that that City if you looked at the, the amount of money they've invested they probably that wasn't wouldn't. a vapid that, that wasn't a vapid Steve, point nothing you say is vapid <laughs> what, 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 just before because Go you're going to say something that, that will take a little bit longer than what I need to say which is simply that the underachievement for Manchester City has been in the recruitment 
not necessarily yes. the, the, the amount of money. So what I was going to say was, there is a direct correlation between how much money you spend and how much you win. This is my, my opportunity now to criticise Hugh. <laughs> I only did that because I felt that, you know... There is a 92% correlation between your wage, not the money you spend on fees, but your wage bill and where you and your lead finish that you can basically predict lead finish from wage bill not all the time and sometimes obviously gloriously will will duck to the trend is that 8% though is that 8% the top two or three four maybe even six clubs that's where that you get the change a bit I think the eight well I think probably that's where it most likely is yeah but I would guess that it's also that was my point teams with good managers or teams who happen to you know develop a player who turns in whether they sign him you know or 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 grow him, who turns into a phenomenon that, you know, there are always sort of, that's what fo- why football is exciting. But I just wonder whether, knowing that correlation, teams now are much more inclined to think, right, well, we know there is this direct correlation between our financial fire- firepower and our success. So we, we kind of have, not even a right, but a compulsion to spend as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I just, mm-hmm. the one with, and I'm, I, don't, I don't want to harp on at City, because City fans are quite chippy and will attack me on Twitter for it. Well, hopefully they feel, feel like that they had something of a, of, a, of a supporter, not literally, no. but, but, well, but providing context but I'd, I'd during to, this programme. I'd love to know whether, if, you know whether, City, whether City fans, intelligent City fans are, and you're right, that all... If a Man United fan says to a City, fa- City fan, oh, you spent so much money, it doesn't count, the City fan will automatically bridle, and that's totally natural. But I, I do wonder whether, on reflection, City fans might think, then, you know, it'd be nice if it, if it wasn't such a kind of huge shopping spree every summer. I mean, the team that I support, I think, will spend quite a lot of money this summer, and to an extent, I'd rather they didn't, if I'm completely honest. But that, that's an interesting point, because if you, if we were talking about the, the players who we emotionally connect with earlier, and actually... Andy Hinchcliffe, I emotionally connected with. And, but that's well, a lot of people have. During Sheffield Wednesday spell. It's mainly because he never cost anybody any sort of big money. What? But, um, <laughs> apart from Ron wow, Atkinson. that's a statement, Ron Atkinson and his play of Kit Kat. Um, <laughs> the... Mrs. Atkinson. <laughs> Mrs. Atkinson <laughs> played Kit Kat and her gold lame cats. Um, do you... <laughs> I don't know if Ron, you find Ron doesn't handle the Kit Kats himself. No, 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 no. <laughs> he has a Kit Kat handler. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same way about players at your club. You were saying about the fact that you enjoyed some players scoring more than yeah. others. The, the emotional connection that that I'm drawing is more with the players who are almost bargains, surprises. Yeah. Whether they've they're bargains because they've come through the youth system, which is an obvious one, or they have been scouted well. Mm. We found them, another team didn't, and now look at them, they're playing well. It's almost like I'm nervous about the, the amount of money that's spent on a certain player. The last two players who've been my club's um, most expensive signing haven't necessarily been brilliant, and I think part of my lack of kind of connection with them is that, is that I'm nervous about them being a failure because of the amount of money that we've spent on them. So actually, you you, you support sometimes the players that don't have the, the price tag in order to shield yourself from the criticism that might come. So just to round off the City thing, City have a huge emotional connection with somebody like Pablo Zabaleta, £5 million pounds or whatever he was from um, Espanyol. Vincent Company was £6 million. Pounds. Those are the kind of players who they will feel like they are connected to because there's, there isn't that, that extra cap of, well, but he cost £38 million pounds like Sergio Aguero. But also there's the thing that the, the, the £38 million pound signing has to, be, has to be good. If your £38 million pound signing scores two brilliant goals, 
then that's what they should be doing. They cost 38 yeah. million quid. Yeah. The five million pounds, I, mean, I agree with you. I think we always focus on youth team products. I don't think that's right. I, the, the players that at my team that, that give me the most pleasure are the ones who are kind of kind of testament almost to the, to the club working well by scouting someone properly. The ones who are pleasant surprises, the yeah. ones who you pick up for four million quid and it turns out, actually, do you know what? He's going to be the central midfielder for the next 10 years. And I think there's a, re there's a real pleasure for that. Does you feel as though it means your club is doing its job? Not the... Not the, not the the merchandising department or the commercial department or the or the manager but the entire club the scouts are working well it's all you know they know what they're doing and you take a pleasure from that and there's an element of surprise about it i just found it, it is it interesting is it true now of of coaches certainly the top end of the premier league do they feel obliged to spend money is is the players that they bring in? Like, yeah, they're great players. You're spending forty million pound on them. Do do they? Would the owners of these clubs, once they bring these top coaches in, if the coaches were to say, you know what, I don't want to spend five hundred million, I can spend maybe one hundred and fifty because I've got my ideas about this player, this player. Would would they feel obliged? You have to be spending three hundred million or be wanting to spend that type of. I think is that just how it is at the top end of the Premier League now? I think there is a natural market function. So. Off air, we've just had an impassioned discussion, <laughs> naming names that we've put out. But one of the things that always annoys me is when a team goes and spends 40, 50 million quid on the player who's just had one great season or two great seasons at a slightly smaller club, and you sort of think, well, look, you're paying your scouts a fortune. They should be spotting him first. So all these clubs chasing Virgil van Dijk should have gone and watched him at Celtic. That's what you have scouts for. But there is a natural, we talked about Porto and Monaco being, being raided by Premier League clubs, there is a natural market function that if, you, if you're a Premier League team, you get charged more money by everybody. There is an English price, there's a, there's a price for everybody else. You, you may be at the very top, top level of the Premier League, you can't take risks, so you have to you have to kind of minimise, or at least minimise the risk that you're taking. And a precedent's been set as well. Yeah, so you Basically, the, the top six in the Premier League are the apex predators of the of the transfer market, which is a slightly cheesy phrase, but that's basically what they are. The food chain stems down Good from them. name that. The apex predators. Yeah. It's not as good as Johnny Narcissist and the other guys. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> what, which is which is the 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 sub the, the, the sub, sub name for this podcast. The subject yeah. for this podcast is yes. a change. Oh. <laughs> and, and the other band name slash uh, quiz team name is one that we can't say because yeah. it's oh, massively offensive. I love that one. But the um. Yeah, so there is a, there's a natural market function that they, they will have to pay more and they will have to make the big money signings because everything flows beneath them. So Porto or Udinese or Leon can't do what Porto, Udinese and Leon do if the big teams aren't spending the money. They, it, there is a sort of trickle-down economics effect to it. But I would, yeah, the, I, I would like to see the big teams have the nerve to say we're not going to go and splurge 40 million quid on this guy and 50 million quid on this guy. And either we're going to go and try and get a couple of players who we can then polish and, and make them what we want or and to, again to bring it back to City although Chelsea are just as good an example to let you Acho, who alright the, the idea that he was as good as Marcus Rashford is probably overblowing it a bit but he's a 19 year old striker he scored loads of goals he's obviously got something he's going to end up getting sold because because City what want to go and spend another 50 million quid on another striker what's the point what's the point of City signing all those kids in the in the youth, they're spending huge sums of money on youth players. Why? Then they're, they're not going to make it. The Bernardo you Silva are thing wasting money was was frustrating for a, a lot of City fans who I I would imagine were hoping that that would be Patrick Roberts or one of the other players who are a couple of uh, years younger. But we've said it many times on this podcast. He he's not going to wait two years for Patrick Roberts to be ready. He's not going to wait five years for Jane Sancho to be ready. He's not going to wait four years for Brahim Diaz to be ready. He's he needs Bernardo Silva now. Yeah, and that's that's where watch interest comes in. That they 
they are probably obliged to go and get ready-made players and that because of the way the position they have in the market that yeah. costs money we talked about the club that you two support Stephen Hugh so from what you're saying rather than spend 60-70 million on one player you think your club you would like to see them buy five or six players for that type of money maybe from, from lower leagues and develop them on as the club the club's philosophy is maybe to do that as well so signing a player for 60-70 normally you'd think fans would be saying brilliant we're spending all this money on for actually you'd see it slightly that would make me very nervous, very nervous. Yeah. so is, is it that we have to look at it club by club in terms of the money they're spending and what they're looking to achieve Yes, it's all relative and also sell-on value. For, for, yeah. for a club like ours, who will eventually no doubt sell the player if he becomes as good as some of the other players that they've been forced to sell, then you've got to think about whether it's worth it financially as well. You've, you've mentioned Huddersfield a lot, but if yeah. you're talking about Huddersfield, they make clever loan signings, but if they do make any permanent signings, surely they have to. their asterisk is not necessarily whether their success will be dimmed by the fact that they've bought those players. Their, their asterisk will be, but look at the money that they made yeah. on some of those players, and that was actually half the job yeah Burnley are an interesting one as well because when they first got promoted they stuck to the principles that got them in the Premier League they managed to establish themselves now they're starting to spend is it 10 million on Hendrick 13 million on Brady in the scheme of things it doesn't but that type of signing for Burnley is like signing a 50 60 million pound player but again that they realize that things have to develop they have to spend some money but the similar types of characters that still fit into the philosophy that Burnley has. So Sean Dyche, I know he gets a few mentions on this podcast, but he, he, he to me... Voice. Do the voice. No, you do the voice. You do the voice. <laughs> do the voice. Do the voice. Say Jeff Hendrick. <laughs> Jeff Hendrick. There it is. But So they're doing it. Of course, he'd get more respect if he was told Jeffrey O. Hendrick O. <laughs> <laughs> he'd get more respect if he, would call, if he was called Hendrick's Jeff. That's good one. F.A. F.A. Hendrick's F.A. But maybe teams like Bournemouth and maybe Huddersfield coming up as well, they've got to try and can they get the combination or do they just have to say, what will Huddersfield do? Are they going to spend 200 million on players and just say, this is this is the way we're going to do it to try and stay up? I'm not sure. They might well follow. Our principles of this has got us so far. Is that our best chance of staying? Yes, we've got to spend some money, but spend it in the Burnley way, the Bournemouth way, the Huddersfield way. They can't spend because players won't come to these clubs anyway. For the last, the, the wages will be astronomical. The whole the way thing is now ridiculous. I remember going to Carrow Road about four years ago and seeing a bid thing saying the Norwich way. What's the Norwich way? There's yeah. no Norwich way. League in the championship is the Norwich way. Yeah, getting relegated then promoted and occasionally banging on about the fact you beat Bayern Munich. That's the Norwich <laughs> way. But every club's got a way. But it's, and leaving aside the fact that it's dead cheesy, it's really important, I think, to, that these clubs do have an identity. So Burnley do, and I know I'm going to take the mickey out of Sean Dyche, all out of affection, that... Sort of. The, um, sort of. But, but, sort of. <laughs> but Burnley do have an identity, and I think it's really important to the fans at Burnley that the club retains that identity. I think if they went and got in 11 Brazilian playmakers and decided to start being kind of Corinthians in Lancashire, I don't think the fans would identify with it. There is a kind of. There is a. They'd take the weather, though. <laughs> how, would you, how would you convince 11 Brazilian playmakers to sign for Burnley? There's no agent in the world that could make that happen. Money. Plus, at least really? two of them would be called Ronaldo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the, the fans would just you, get completely you, confused. You'd have to have a Ronaldo and yeah. a Ronaldinho. It's the only way it works. But yeah, if you if you like dramatically transform the identity of the team, <laughs> I think the club, the fans would find it much harder to identify with the identity of the club. And I just wonder at the top end whether that's been lost and it has become a let's see how many players we can buy and all we have to do is spend money and we can get the best players but I I do think that at some point the emotional connection which is crucial in football is lost and you don't identify with those 
teams as much. Mm-hmm. Loads of my mates are Leeds fans, and Leeds have been through this period. It's different. Or it was different last season under Gary Monk, where they just had loads of loan players. They had loads of loan players who'd lead, who would be there for three or six six months or a year, and then they'd go, and then there'd be more loan players. And they, and I'd mates telling me they couldn't remember who played for Leeds anymore because it just seemed to change constantly. Mm-hmm. You need to identify with you, the players in your team, and you need the success means more. Maybe it's not to do with money, maybe it's to do with emotion. Maybe the success means more when you feel you have a connection to the players and not just that they are there. You'll see how good they are, and then next year, if they're not quite good enough, you'll sign someone who's marginally better <laughs> for £55 million. Pounds. But the, the, the financial necessity, particularly of low league clubs, means they have to have loan players, and they have mm. to have loan players for just a month yeah. to fill gaps. And it's different, so it's, it's, it's different it is in very the football league. It is different, and the, you know, there's a, success is a different thing and what counts as success, but I, I would... I've got different ideas for how you solve that problem in the football league, but I do think that the how tr- how transient players are is starting, regardless of the money spent on them, does start to impact how much your team means to you. Maybe it's maybe it's just personal. I'm not sure. So Bernardo Silva signs for City. I've not seen an awful lot of him play. Forget the money. Is he right for City? He, he did is, that clever thing of playing well against City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's surely it's not the, why a coach would say he's well, he's signing for three years. It's the, AC, he, it's the AC Milan 1990s transfer policy. Hmm. It's Andreas Anderson. He did well against us. <laughs> Let's sign him. He'll do. No, Bernardo Silva is an excellent player, and he he will fit in really well into a Guardiola okay. system. But he is not what City need. No one went into this summer thinking, "Tell you what, City's a bit short on playmakers." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From That's, that point and, of view, and they are the, of all the players that you hear about from the youth system. They all play in that position, okay. which is probably why it's a little bit frustrating. But he's not. He's not twenty-eight. Yeah. He's not a, thirty-two. So you know he could be there for seven. I suppose well, you've, got, you've got Silva. You've got De Bruyne. You've got the, the. But he's not signing for City, surely, to be waiting three years. No, I would guess that he will. He will start straight away. But yeah. does he is one of the best? He's probably top five under 23s in Europe but I would think he is the long term replacement for David Silva that would be maybe how Guardiola sees him and from that point of view it makes perfect sense but then just sign someone called Silva yeah and (laughs) presumably at some point he'll get the number 21 shirt and that way they won't actually have to like change change anything it'll be dead easy that'll go down well with the fans who've already got that shirt that's a a nice touch actually that should happen more to be honest maybe we should have the asterisk in a a different place then just around this conversation off is that the asterisk shouldn't necessarily be, be by teams who have won with big money it's by teams who relatively to their lack of money mm. succeed mm. nonetheless yeah. yeah so the asterisk should be by burnley huddersfield yeah. bournemouth perhaps leicester leicester's, leicester. a, just, yeah, Massive makes leicester's achievement all the greater yeah there were mitigating factors top teams not performing as well as they should do but for leicester to have capitalized on that on the resort you know and they're not they're not paupers by any stretch of the imagination yeah but for leicester to have capitalized and, and won the league in that season with everything else that was going on is, is what makes that such an outstanding achievement that's actually we probably should, well that, it would have been a really short podcast but you, you could easily have used that as the right at the start and said if you look at the way that Leicester winning the title and if you take out the history the fact they've never done it before the, the reaction of the country and the world to Leicester winning the title compared to Chelsea winning the title where it was well done Chelsea yeah. really impressive can't fault you at all you were the best team you were the best team yeah. not a problem the, but there wasn't that same sense of delirium and part of that with Leicester is because of the circumstances which was that they hadn't spent loads of the money. emotional circumstances, the, the emotional connection that we all, as football fans, felt to that team. Even the people who really resented Leicester by the end, and there were plenty of them, there was a real kind of connection to it. It was the story that you want to see. The success for a team like that does mean more. And and what people felt for Huddersfield as well when they when they were promoted by the playoffs. I, I, I do think fans and even people not fans of, of those clubs to see them be successful in that way. 
Yeah, I, I was really pleased to see Leicester win the title against Chelsea. Well, you kind of expect it, don't you? With the money they spend, the players they have, the coach they've got. Yeah, it's kind of expected, isn't it? So, yes, it is It is very different when teams... It's not overachievement, is it? It's just a great achievement because yeah. anything is possible if you can coach. Well, that's what it's all about. You know, it's about coaching. If you sign these players in for big money, do they do the job themselves? Do they need coaching? How much coaching did Ranieri do with that Leicester side? I'm not sure he did an awful lot. The players did such a lot of, of hard work themselves, but... Teams like Leicester and Huddersfield kind of give you the, 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 the faith that that is true football achievement. It's not overachievement. It's, it's clubs that aren't able to spend the money the big clubs achieving great things. Although, funnily enough, that, that is a, a brief achievement in terms of Leicester. Who mm. knows how long it'll be for Burnley, for Bournemouth, for Huddersfield. Yeah. What the money is about is trying to sustain that achievement, and that's probably what the difference yeah. is. I was just going to say, and just to broaden it out, you know, Monaco as well. Yeah. In France, that, that yeah, it's not quite the, you know, the rags-to-riches story, but, you know, for them to beat PSG in any season, but this season in particular is a, is a fine achievement. And Hoffenheim in Germany getting into the Champions League is absolutely remarkable on very, very meagre resources. Atletico Madrid. That's it. That's my, the end of my point. Anyway, thanks. See, see you next week. <laughs> Conclusion, colon, Atletico Madrid. Um, we're going to be treating everybody, instead of a soccer story, to some Ask Chinch questions to round off today's podcast. Hashtag Ask Chinch. You've all been getting in touch. So many of you want to know. So many very deep and personal things about Andy Hinchcliffe. Uh, it's upsetting that we can't ask him some of those questions. However, we've got two or three to just rush through at the end of the podcast, um, including from Martin, who got in touch via uh, an email. Have you bought... This is a question for Andy Hitchcliffe, yes. titled hashtag I'm not giving you any pin Chinch. numbers or anything like that. You do know that, don't you? Have <laughs> you bought everything available for men, comma, in large, comma, from your local super dry store? Wait or is there still something left? That's Who? from Martin, who's actually from Sweden. So I don't know if super dry is big in Sweden, but... Wait a minute, you've prompted that. You've got someone to send that question in, haven't you? No, people are interested in your wardrobe. Because, no, you're the only critic of my super dry liking. If in, you were incorrect, in, he's not incorrect. the only critic. <laughs> you one of two table. critics. Chinch, you wear too much super dry. I topic. love super dry, it just fits me so well. How often do you go? Once. I order a lot online. <laughs> That's what the kids do these days. <laughs> going to the store. a lot of legwork. Everything male and in large. It's not in large, actually. Chinch, you should never skip a leg day. <laughs> skip a what? Legs, no, you shouldn't. Legs twice a week. That's what we do at the gym. Yeah, yeah. And next question comes courtesy uh, of Twitter and Steve. Comes from Jamie Liverpool. I assume that's Jamie in Liverpool on Twitter. Mm. Is Leighton Baines Everton's best ever free kick taker? Best ever free kick yeah. taker. Hashtag ask Chinch. Well, clearly, you, you take myself out of the equation, he will be an obvious number one. In a word, Sheedy. Huh? Sheedy better than you. That's though. not quite the. Uh, yeah. That's not quite the answer we were anticipating. Sheedy better than you. I think so. At Sheedy pieces above, free above Chinch. Yes, I, mean, I would say. You only, yeah. you only ever I scored did. one, didn't you? No, I didn't score one. <laughs> you did. You scored that one against QPR that was lucky. Oh, that there. was awesome. Everton, I score anymore. I must have scored in reserve game once. That that was, no, that was a really good free. We were, spe- really we, we were speaking free. to a QPR fan who who still sort of bears the scars of that moment. Rankles, it rankles. Uh, we also uh, shared an airport lounge with Leighton Baines on our way out to Portugal recently. Executive lounge? Uh, no, just uh, no, he was slumming normal it. gate. He was slumming it, but he had the full cap, high collar coat, so that nobody recognised him apart from the football yeah. journalists. It was it was keen footballer observers. Wait a minute, who wait a minute. You, say sh- you didn't speak to him, did you? No, because... You're just we, in the same lounge as him, in the same airport. We didn't want to dilute our love of former Everton left-backs. Ah. And where do you think he's a current Everton left-back? Well, I suppose, yeah. Well, where, do you, really? mm, where do you think he was going? 
Well, if, bearing in mind he was on our flight, he was going to Oh, Portugal. sorry, you said he was in the lounge, so he could have been on any flight, couldn't he? Well, I, well it was gate, but I wanted to make it sound better, so I Which said lounge. terminal oh. did you fly out of from Terminal 3, man. No, we flew out of Terminal 1, we came, came back, back into, into Terminal, terminal 3. 3. Isn't, coming, for a bit of isn't getting back into Terminal 3 the worst experience in yeah. the entire world? <laughs> it might well be. I'd just like to put on record <laughs> how much I loathe Manchester Airport Terminal 3. Why? Let's make that. It's just the worst place on the planet. I use it a lot and I find it really, really easy to use. Terminal 3 at Manchester Airport. Yes, the little one. The little one. Yeah, do you get it? Is there some kind of fast track for for former footballers that we don't know about? Where where does the problem kick in? Uh, The The minute you get off the plane? When when (laughs) you enter the airport, either from airside or the other side. The whole thing is awful. Our final question on Ask Chinch today comes from also via Twitter and Steve. It is actually in response to a tweet from a former teammate of yours, Neville Southall. Everyone must vote, says Neville. No NHS, no jobs, no education, no social service. That's the risk. Vote Labour. Save our future. Save our country. So Alex Kunovitz asks via Twitter, one for Ask Chinch, do players ever discuss politics and real world problems in the dressing room? If you'd been in the dressing room with Andy Boo, it was hard enough for him to speak English. I I tried to explain to him the workings of a pension. The poor lad was bamboozled. Absolutely bamboozled, but he had no idea. He had one, yeah. but no, had no idea how it actually works. But he'd taken one out and was paying into one. Good, well, good on Boothie. Well, it's good, it's good, yeah, but he obviously he's been given some very good advice, but yeah. he didn't actually, but that's nothing to do with yeah, politics. Are you was, was Big Nev politically um, active during his playing He was days? active in many ways, but certainly not politically. <laughs> he tried to get me to go down certain roads, but I wasn't, but not politically. No. So, you know, no. what was the most intellectual conversation you had in addressing me? Oh, Pat Nevin. Pat Nevin was about. I, I, don't, I just nodded a lot. He said a lot of really intelligent things, and I just nodded. Thank well, you. Was he not just reading the paper out loud? I've spoken, yes. I've spoken to players who are there are politically engaged players. This is a, well surprising or not, relatively high proportion of conservative voters amongst Premier League footballers. Is that I for think. tax reasons? Perhaps I would imagine it's exclusively for tax reasons. I yeah. once had a very uh, engaging political conversation with Vincent Company. I can imagine that Vin, who, Big Vince is. He was very much. <laughs> big, big Vince immediately undermines the fact that. I an intellectual conversation. Big Vince. Big Vince makes him sound less how he refers to himself. <laughs> That's true. When only when he's talking about uh, getting involved in Belgian politics. But he is—he's very political. There are there are foreign players. I think often are quite politically active. Um, but yeah, the, the, I, 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 the, there are politically engaged players. Whether they talk about it amongst themselves, I'm not sure. I would doubt it very much indeed. All we would say on this podcast is go vote, everybody. Absolutely. Use but your mate. political birthright. Go green. <laughs> Green. Is that your favourite super dry colour? Is that why? Oh, don't go back to that again. So, thank you to everybody for your Ask Chinch questions. We'll do another one of them uh, a little bit uh, later on at Set Piece Menu um, on Twitter and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Um, once again, thank you to everybody. Your homework is once again to subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Keep us engaged with the email. Send us anything rubbish. We'll have it. Thanks to Steve, Rory, and Andy, and to you for listening as well we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very very soon Hugh, why are you standing up like Tony Pulis at a press conference um, because I uh, I have some work that I need to not that this is, isn't not work have you got to get onto the training ground have you got I, plan B to dish I've out got, to? I've got work to do and so I need to go otherwise I'm going to be late and I might get sacked Oh. I'm going to go with four cents a half on Saturday for a big change, lads. Does that mean we... Hang on a bit, Tony Pulis is now Sean Dyche. No, that's not Sean Dyche. That, that that's just it. Tony Pulis being really authoritative. <laughs> Could you slam the door really loudly just so that we get that sound effect on your way out? That'd be really should we talk? Should we, should we talk about Hugh as soon as he goes? 
Oh, John, thank God he's gone. Oh, really? What is he like? Oh, that's embarrassing. I keep hoping he won't turn up one week. I know. Well, it was great that week that he wasn't here, wasn't oh, it? Well, he was still here, wasn't he? He was just still, he was still overseeing. He's verbally annoyed, but physically, he's just so repulsive, isn't he? He's just <laughs> have him in the room. It's just like a, someone's and let at, off. At least every one of us has, can play the game to a certain level yes. that, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But he talks, gives some gravitas to what we've got but to he say. he talks but. like he knows, well, he's on about NFL and all that rubbish. He comes out, why am I whispering? He's gone. Look, when he's, when he's on honeymoon, we can do an entire podcast without any mention of American yeah. sport. Oh, that'd be amazing.